Now, last week we talked about the importance of understanding the end game of the world. We're talking about the end game of time. Like at the very end, what, we, what Christians, some of us call the end of times, right? And so last week we talked about the devil's end game. Like we need to understand if you're a believer in Christ, even if not, I want you to know you can't sleep on that. You need to know what the devil's end game for your life. And last week we talked about that his end game is to end you. See, for the devil, life and all this, it's ain't a game. For the devil, it's ain't a game. This is real life. And his goal, his end game is to end you. And we talked about how he has plan A and plan B for everybody. So literally all of you are going to fall into one of these two categories from the devil. Plan A for your life is to keep you from being saved by grace through faith. That's plan A. He will try to do whatever he can, steal, kill, destroy every opportunity or kill you before you can place your faith in the truth of Jesus and the gospel. He will try to kill you before you get saved. But unfortunately for those of you that, for him, those of you who are saved and get saved, he doesn't give up him like, another one, I missed it. I was like, he doesn't give up on you. He was like, okay, plan B. For all of you who are saved, true sons and daughters of God, this is the devil's plan B for your life. He wants you to be so distracted and so discouraged that you do not walk in your faith leading you as a saved person, keeping you as a saved person from saving other people. His goal then, if you can be saved, all right, well, he wants to make sure that salvation stays with you and you don't go saving your friends and your family and, and your neighbors and all that. That's plan B. And he does that by getting you to be discouraged in your faith and distracted by the things of this world. And he will, now this is now, you know, God, the devil's not God, so he can't go around doing this for everybody. The devil deploys demons to do his dirty work. And that's what we talked about last week. He deploys demons to do his dirty work. But the good news is that we are not left without hope. We are not left without hope or without answers to come against, to combat this enemy that we have. In fact, look, when it comes to life, you know, we all have something in common. You all, in fact, we mentioned it earlier today. I think Ashley mentioned it earlier today. We all have struggles from time to time. And we all deal with temptations from time to time. In fact, if you saw the movie Endgame, you saw how everybody at the beginning of the movie, everyone was struggling and dealing with temptations, at least the Avengers were, because they had to come face to face with their failures. They didn't save the world. Thanos killed half of everybody in the movie. And so they all were struggling with dealing with their failure. Tony Stark... He, what did he do? He went off onto a farm and just with his family and just tried to just live out his life. Am I ruining the movie for you? I'm just making sure. And I was like, oh. So I'm sorry. And I was like, oh, my God, I haven't seen it yet. Plug your ears. La, 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 la. Do that for the next literally 30 seconds. Okay. Tony Stark, he gave up and he just went on a farm. All right. If you saw who was the other one, uh, Hawkeye. Hawkeye was one who was so full of rage because his fa he lost his family. He was so full of rage and bitterness that he just became this bloodthirsty, nasty assassin that just took it all out on people. It was very gruesome what he become because he was so angry. Thor got fat and depressed, right? And so it was crazy. Like literally all of these people were struggling. They, they either struggled to cope with their struggles or some had fleeting hope and they try to keep themselves busy and doing things listen look you and i were all like that okay end game spoilers over okay you can unplug your ears now listen look we are all like that all of us are like that in our when we're struggling with anything or when we are facing temptation 
You are going to have a hard time either trying to cope with your failures, cope with your circumstances, and you're going to struggle to have hope. That's, that's normal. And you struggle, and you struggle to cope and have hope the most. When you look inside and in yourself and you realize there's, the answer is not in here. Like my wisdom, my strength, my ability, I don't know how I'm going to pull myself out of this. There's a, I'm stuck in this cycle that I don't know how to break, and I am unable to. When you get to that point, like I said a minute ago, the end of your rope, it gets hopeless. It's hard to cope with that, right? And you just find any way to just escape mentally. Maybe, and, and you'll do whatever it takes. You get addicted to this, that, whatever it is, just so you don't have to feel it anymore. Because it at least makes you feel better for a moment, but by the time you sober back up, or by the time you get hungry again, by the time the movie's over, or whatever you do to entertain yourself, that feeling is still there. That feeling is still there. Now, but as believers in Christ, see, here's the thing. For all true sons and daughters of God, when you look inside, you will see your shortcomings. You will see that you are not enough. But if you are a son and daughter of God, you will look inside and you, oh, oh, you're going to see something else. You're going to see something else. You're going to see a power in you that is greater than anything that you can even try to comprehend or imagine. All right, And this is better than any man-made thing. This is better than any, the strength that we get from this power is better than any gamma ray strength that the Hulk got, okay? And this, this thing, this, this DNA, this serum that we have, the spirit that we have is better than any super soldier serum that Captain America took that made him all jacked and all this stuff, all right? It is better than any form of technology. There's no technology that can replicate, no amount of money that could create this, none of it. None of it. No heart-shaped herbs that you can chew up and drink and then connect. That was, you know, T'Challa and Black Panther. He took this heart-shaped herb. He, be, he went from a normal person to the Black Panther and was able to talk to his de dead dad, which, by the way, there's some, you know, a little witchcraft and sorcery in there you need to don't duplicate, all right? But here's the thing. There is something in us when you receive the heart of God. There's something that transforms in you and you get reconnected back to your heavenly father in the same way. That's better. That's better. This power that we have in us is better than anything that any Avenger ever had. And this power in us, now let me tell you, it does not make difficulties go away. But it does bring victory. It doesn't excuse the difficulties, but it does bring victory. And that presence is called the Holy Spirit. That's what that is. That's what that is. And that's what we all have if you are a believer in Christ. And so point number one I want to show you today, we're going to look at a, a section of the book of Ephesians. And I'm actually going to give you like the big idea of the whole book. So when you read the book of Ephesians, you can kind of see, oh, that's how this all connects. And so point number one is this, that God has repositioned us through Christ and through the Holy Spirit. All right. This is what happens to all sons and daughters of God. You need to understand first your position. Where are you? Where do you stand? And know that in Christ and through the Holy Spirit, God has repositioned you throughout. I mean, this is a unique thing. First off, we're going to look in a minute in Ephesians. But in the whole book of Ephesians, this Paul wrote to this one church okay, called, called Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor, right in between the Middle East and, and Europe, around there, northern Africa. He is trying to communicate something to this church. And the big idea that Paul is trying to communicate to this church is he is revealing them the mystery, which when you read Ephesians, he talks about unveiling this mystery. What has God been up to this whole time? 
God has been up to something since the beginning of time, and now we are seeing fully. <gasps> that's what he's, oh my gosh, that's what he's been up to. Wow, that's what he's been up to. And here's what it is. The whole theme of the book of Ephesians is God revealing through Paul God's endgame for the world. It's literally, the book of Ephesians is revealing God's endgame. And God's endgame involves the church rising up as his instrument to bring, to extend the victory of Christ from the cross everywhere. God's endgame includes us. It includes the church to bring that victory and to extend all that God is doing in us, through us, everywhere. That's what his end game is. And so he wants them to see and he unpacks in this whole, I mean, it's a short letter. You can probably read it within like 30 minutes or less, depending on how fast you read. Super short. But that's what the book of Ephesians is. And he wants them to understand this is what it's about. It's about not just playing church internally. It's about going out there. It's not about Sunday faith, but everyday faith for everybody. Not just for you, but for everybody else. For those especially who don't have it. That's what it is. But, and he, he says this phrase repeatedly throughout. Now, I tried to count. I might have lost track. So if anyone wants to correct me, go ahead. Now, there is, I counted 26 times in six chapters. 26 times when Paul says the phrase, in Christ, in him, meaning in Christ, or through him. The majority of the time was in Christ or in him. 26 times in six verses, repeatedly, every chapter almost has that phrase. Hey, in him, your position in God, through Christ, through the Spirit. You need to know your position. You need to know. And in fact, in these 12 verses that we're not going to, we're going to skip and read, he actually says the word in Christ 10 times in 12 verses. It's ridiculous. In there, he says, I'm just going to highlight it. In those 10 times and 12 verses, in the opening chapter of Ephesians, he is saying that in Christ, we are chosen. In Christ, we are blameless. In Christ, we are adopted. In Christ, we are accepted. In Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, we are predestined. Yeah, we got a lot in there. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. 10 times and 12 verses. Do you not, do you get him? He's just beating it to death. I was like, you need to know who you are in Jesus. Because so many times people like, hey, do you believe in Jesus? You might say, yes. But okay, well, if you believe in Jesus, do you know who you are in Jesus? Ooh, that was different. You catch that? It's not just believing in Jesus because believing in Jesus leads you to understand who you are now in him. And it's interesting because like chapter 6 at the very end of this letter, he talks about waging war. And we talked about how we last week with the devil's endgame, listen, we are called to wage the good war, fight the good fight. Our enemy is not the person sitting across from you. It's not your family. It's not that coworker. It's not that person who voted for the other political party. It's not that person, you know, that you just rant and troll on Facebook or and Twitter or whatnot. That's not our enemy. That's not our enemy. It is the spirit behind what, you know, what is happening all in the world. That is who our enemy is. And we are called to wage a good warfare. And in that chapter, in chapter 6, he talks about the armor of God. Some of you, if you grew up in church, you probably heard about that or know the armor of God. But it's interesting that right before he says to put on the armor, he says, stand firm. Stand. Know where your position is. You can't put on the armor if you're not standing. You got to be able to know where you are. Stand firm in your faith. So you can't put on that. You can't put on the armor unless you know where you stand. That's why that theme is throughout that whole letter. And it's, it's so interesting because in, before the church is called to war, 
through the Spirit in chapter 6, in Ephesians chapter 6. Before the church is called to war, she is first called to walk with the Spirit. That's chapters 4 through 5 in Ephesians. But before the church can war in the Spirit, before the church can walk in the Spirit, the church needs to know how to stand in Christ through the Spirit. That's chapters actually 1 through 3 of Ephesians. You got to learn to stand and then walk. And then when you can walk, devil got to watch out because well, you're going to war now. Okay? But that's the process. You can't do that if you don't know how to stand. And so here, at the end of this, he goes, this is who you are in him, in him, in him, in him. And look at chapter, let's look at the next one. This is point number two. God has sealed us in Christ through the Spirit. Look at verse 13. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Now he says, for the 11th time, what is the first two words? In him. So again, now 11 times in 13 verses. He says, in him, meaning Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed. When you believed in him, you received something. I don't know if some of you guys even know that. If you believe in Jesus... You received him. In fact, that tiny little verse, do you guys know that that just, he pretty much outlined how do sinners become saints? Right there, one tiny verse. How does a sinner become a saint? Easy. He hears the truth, he believes the truth, and receives it. Done. Well, that's it. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's how sinners become saints. You hear the truth, you believe it, and then you receive it. And it becomes, you just own it. Now, in that notice, when he says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This was something that God from, this was a fulfillment of a prophecy that God for the longest time was telling the prophets that one day I am going to do something in the world. I am doing it now and at one point it will come and you will see it. And this promised Holy Spirit, he was trying to tell this Ephesians, especially those Jews, that was saying this is the promise from the, the, the prophecies that God was fulfilling. But that seal is amazing. And I, I don't want you guys to sleep on that one word. All right, say that with me. Say sealed. Okay, now when you think of sealed, you might think of a couple different ways, like not the like, not that kind of a seal, okay, not like that. Different kind of seal, listen, seals like this, the one Paul's talking about, it comes, it speaks of authenticity and authority. That's what this seal does. When you believe in the truth of God, you are sealed by the Spirit. And that means that it is the Spirit of God is your seal. It is, shows the authenticity. I don't know if you've ever bought something from a company or a person. And have you ever heard of a certificate of authenticity? You ever heard about one of those? A certificate of authenticity comes from something that is either rare or unique. It is from the previous owner or from a company. And if you own that certificate of authenticity, it is proof that says a uh, this is what it's supposed to be. If it's a rare baseball card, the certificate of authenticity is proof to say, this is not a fake. This is real. This is real. It validates the claim. It's real. That's what the authenticity does. Guys, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit, when you believe in Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit seals you. He actually is the proof of that you are not a, what happened in you is not a fake. What you happened is you is real. Is that you are now a real son. And that's the Holy Spirit is a certificate of authenticity to prove to the world and to you that you are a real son and daughter of God. And not only that, that same seal of authenticity, it also talks about a transaction, a completion of a transaction. 
So if somebody buys something, there's a certificate that says, you know, here's the transfer of ownership. If I had to sell a car last year and I had to do the deed and write on the deed this and that because it needed to be proof that now this certificate, like the deed was now this, you know, transfer of the deed was a certificate of authenticity that a transfer of ownership has happened. Listen, when you believe in Jesus, you are sealed with the spirit and the spirit in your life is proof that there has been a transfer of ownership in the world, in you, that now you no longer belong to the, your father, the devil. Now you belong to a heavenly father. You have a new owner. Now you are a son and daughter, not a slave. That's what that is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. This isn't just information for you to just feel good for a second. This is a seal. And, if you, and here's something about the seal. This is a seal that no one can break. See, in the book of Revelations, Jesus, we see that there is a seal that cannot be broken. And the only one who was able to do it is Jesus. Well, guys, I want you to know that the devil, no demon and no devil can break this seal over you. You are sealed shut. Ain't nothing, ain't nothing, no one can undo that. No devil can undo that. You got to believe in that because there's so many of you. Again, what does a believer, what does a demon try to do? What does the devil want us to do? If you are saved, he wants you to doubt your salvation. If you're saved, he doesn't want you to feel sick. Because if you saved, you're going to save somebody else. So at least he puts you on the rocky, like, uh, wait, am I? Am I not? I don't know. Am I? Mm-hmm. You know, back and forth. He'll try to doubt you to do that. He'll try to get you to doubt. But no, the Holy Spirit is there to prove you. I'm like, ah, don't listen to him. Okay? Don't listen to him. All right? You're real. This is real. I'm real. That's what that's for. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. But it gets even better. I love this next verse. He says, in Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Oh, I forgot one. And believed in him. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That talks about authenticity, but the seal also talks about authority. Authority. See, if you are a representative, you're a government representative, and you are like an ambassador somewhere else, and you carry the seal of the United States, that brings authority. That brings authority to where you are. That you are immune, diplomatic community, wherever you go, because you are behind and covered by the seal of your home nation. And back in the day when you were a king, you would offer, uh, you know, because kings, you can get around the way you can get around right now, okay? And so the king would send representatives somewhere. And the king would hand that person a seal. Probably maybe sometimes a ring with the seal of the king. And it was unique things or something like that. And that person would go, and if a person had the seal of the king. If he had the seal of the king, he had the authority of the king. He had the ability, even though the king wasn't there, but if he had the seal, he could act as a representative of the king. He can make and decide and do things in for the king because he's not there. Listen, when you, when God has sealed us with your Holy Spirit, that is just more than just assurance that you're saved. Man, God gives you authority. He gives you authority. That's what that is. That's what you got. That's what you got. You have an authority. The same when Jesus says, all authority is given unto me. After he resurrected from the dead, he says, all authority has been given unto me. And he extends that same thing to us. The Holy Spirit in us is a seal that we can act on the king's behalf. That we can bind whatever, you know, bind in heaven, in hell, on earth what needs to be bound and release heaven here. God gives us that authority. In fact, Jesus even says in John 14, listen, if you as believers, you are going to do greater things than me. That's weird to think about that. Jesus, you walked on water. 
can I try that at the pool party next week? <laughs> you know, I'm going to try that. I don't know. I'm going to see if I can hover. I don't know. I'm going to do something different. Jesus says, if he can walk on water, what can I do? Okay, I don't know. He says, I can do it better. Look, Jesus said, if you believe you can do more than I ever did, not because we're better, it's because he wants to see and can do so much more. That brings authority. That authority is how we can do that. Honestly, that's a big prayer that I'm just praying for me. I'm just saying, Lord, what power source am I not tapping into right now? Like, I'm, that's been a prayer for me over the last couple of months, like saying, God, what form, what do I need to remove in my life? And he's been showing me pride and greed and things in there. I'm like, ooh, that's there? Oh, my gosh. Oh, really? Jeez, I didn't even know that was there. Yuck. And, you know, and I, he's, I'm asking, Lord, get rid of all of that because I just want to tap into that power more. Not for me, not for me, not for anything else, but just so, God, you can do. Just so you can do. I'm praying for that. I'm praying the same thing for you. I'm praying the same thing for you, that you see all that you have, that authority that you got. Again, it's like, you know, a black visa card, right? You just got, you can just, that diamond club that's saying, you know, if you're hungry and you're just like, oh, I'm so thirsty, I don't got any money. But you're rolling around with a black visa, you know, with that diamond level club. I'm like, yo, daddy's going to pay for the bill. Why aren't you swiping? Why aren't you using? So many of us, are, we're out there struggling spiritually, and we got the, that card, we got the authority through the spirit, and we're not accessing that, accessing the funds that are in heaven. Listen, you can, we can, that's what the spirit does. So not only do we have, not only does he seal us with the promised Holy Spirit, which is, he, he does this, let's look at uh, point three, he secures us by the spirit in Christ. He secures us through the Holy Spirit. And now this is verse 14, look at verse 14. After that he says, Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So here we see that this seal, this Holy Spirit is not only a seal, we are not sealed by, but we are also secured by. That we have a guarantee and an assurance. I said a minute ago, if you ever bought something with like a certificate of authenticity, well, have you ever bought something because it came with a warranty? You ever done one of those? Right? It's like, hey, this comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Buy now and you get two for the price of one. You know, it's like all those. Right? Why, why do companies offer warranties? Why do they offer a, a, those 30-day warranties, one-year warranties, right? Uh, guaranteed. Why do they do that? It's so, it's so you can, it's really to go against the fear of uh, should I, should I not? The guarantee almost gives you a, a level of peace to know, well, I could try it. You know, let me try it. If it doesn't work, I can return it, right? If it doesn't work, I return it. And it gets better than that because a guarantee, what is a guarantee? If a company issues a guarantee, regardless of the time span, right? The company will say, well, you are covered and protected. So if anything happens to your product, anything happens throughout the time of whatever is the predetermined amount of time we're gonna agree upon, you are covered and protected. Anything that goes wrong, we'll fix. Anything you need, we're there. That's what, a, that's what a guarantee is for. And there's companies that even offer lifetime guarantees, right? Which is nice and all, but no company can prove that they're going to be there forever, right? Which is, you know, the second that company is done, you can't claim, uh, where's that lifetime guarantee? I'm like, no, we had a business, though. Uh, so, you know, you can't claim that because companies never last. But here's the thing about God. The Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit in us 
is a guarantee that is really a lifetime, it's an eternal warranty. That's what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee that is actually an eternal warranty. It means that because you have the Holy Spirit, you are covered and protected throughout your whole life. You are covered and protected. So if anything is broken, you can run to your father and he'll fix you. If anything is not working the way it needs to work, you can run to your dad. He got you covered, protected. He got you. That's what that is, that we have that access. You don't have to walk around with a broken heart, with a broken this, with that. You go to God because you covered, man, your whole life, your mind, your spirit, all of it is covered. And God says, look, guaranteed. I paid the price for that guarantee. I paid for it. And you have access to that through the spirit. That's the guarantee that we have. God guarantees all who call on my name, man, you'll be saved. You will come to me. You don't have to worry about anything. But you know what's interesting? Let me read this one verse. I don't want to say it wrong. You have to, to access this. All right, if you want to be experienced, the covering of the spirit like that, if you want all things to be covered, you got to be aware of this, you know, in chapter four. Just as a reminder, I mean, this is not on the screen, I'm going to just mention this quickly because this is how secured we are in the Holy Spirit. Because if you know how to stand, then in chapter four, it begins talking about how to walk in the spirit. And he actually talks about how not to walk in your flesh. Like, look, walk this way. Don't walk that way. This is, don't go that way. This is the way. And he kind of outlines that in chapters four and five. But in this, we see tucked in chapter four, verse 30. I'm going to read it to you. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So there's that repetition. There's that phrase again. In chapter 4, he reminds them, oh, and by the way, don't grieve the Spirit. As you walk, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember, he sealed and secured you for the day of redemption, which is, he was talking about to acquiring the possession, of the, this possession, this inheritance that we're going to get, which we're going to talk about in a second. So what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, listen, grieving the Holy Spirit means just falling out in line. It is when instead of walking in God's ways, you decide to walk in sin. And you walk in darkness rather than in light. And you can see in chapter 4 and 5 the difference of what he's talking about if you want to. But we grieve the Spirit. And the, and the Spirit grieves in us. His heart breaks. Why? And we feel it. Why? Because we're sealed in the Spirit. We're secured. And in fact, if you ever feel guilty, like, oh, if you're saved and you've fallen in sin... Or there's something that you need to break and it just breaks your heart. You know what? It's not just you. You're feeling, I really believe you're feeling the Holy Spirit grieving. The Holy Spirit's heart is breaking every time you break one of God's commandments. But he doesn't grieve to produce guilt in your life. He grieves because he misses you. He just says, yeah, just come back. No, 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 come back this way. Because if you come under my covering, I'm, you're covered and protected. You're covered and protected, but, but I can't, you know, it's, it's like anything else. There, there's some warranties, I don't know if you know, that is based off of, you know, user error, okay? Like, uh, the warranty will cover manufacturer error. Like, if something went wrong with this and that, it'll cover it. But if you do something dumb, if you use the product in a way you're not supposed to use it, and it breaks, right, then they're like, uh, no, that's not covered, dude. You broke it. You're not using it the way you're supposed to. I can't cover that unless, you know, whatever. Listen, that's the same thing. If we walk in a way and we start doing things that God has not called us to do, that because we're, you know, God is desiring us to live for more than that. Until we come back under, then he can fix that. But that's what we're talking about. We are, we are guaranteed. In fact, that guilt is a guarantee of your salvation as well. 
What you don't want to find yourself is in a place where you can sin and you're no longer shocked or feel anything. You can just do anything and it's just like nothing. Be careful. Because you can even, I can even argue. I would probably even doubt the fact that you were saved to begin with. If you can sin and do certain things that are so blatant against God's word and you don't blink twice, I don't think you ever really believed. I'm just, I'm just telling you, not as a way of guilting, but and not to guilt trip anybody, but for real. Like, God wants better. God wants better for you. He did all of this so you can have so much. And so in it, we have this guarantee that we know that assurance, that we know we're saved, that we know this inheritance. By the way, you know what the inheritance is? All right? It's better than any money, better than any lot or any. Look, man, this inheritance is God himself. It's God. God is our inheritance, this eternal blessing that we're going to have forever. But you know what else? Guess what? You are the inheritance too. You are God's inheritance. Do you know that? He actually says that later in the verse. You are the Lord's inheritance. God can't wait to just embrace you fully like he is now. He can embrace you now, but he can't wait to embrace you fully to enter into until, by the way, that phrase, until we acquire possession of it, can actually also be translated until God possesses it. It could be the same thing, that we have this guarantee until God comes and gets us. We have this guarantee until God embraces us and we embrace him for eternity. That's what that inheritance is. That's what that guarantee is. In fact, the Holy Spirit is like a deposit. It's like a down payment. It's the first down payment on something of a future that's going to happen. In fact, uh, I think a better analogy would be an engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring. That's what this, sta- this sentence is saying. Now, you guys know how engagement rings work, right? You know what an engagement ring is. I mean, my, my engagement story didn't go as great as I, I, I you know. In my mind, it was going to be totally different. Uh, I I doubted myself and changed some things last minute. And Alicia can't handle secrets. And so when she sees me being sneaky, sneaky, and she can't handle it, she gets a panic attack. And literally, I mean, she was at work, and the ambulance had to come get her. And I was like, I almost killed her before I, like, proposed to her. It was ridiculous. It was a crazy scenario. And so there we are, my mother-in-law. We, I created this situation where now we're at dinner. My mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my parents, and us two were at dinner. And I had a plan to, now this isn't it. Uh, we still have the paper uh, framed on our wall in our bedroom. But I just did a r- duplicate. Uh, I did something like this. And I just, on a crude handwriting, horrible handwriting, I wrote, just simple, I love you, will you marry me? I wrote it, gave it to the manager, gave him the ring, gave him the box, and said, hey, bring it out at the end of dessert. The whole time, I was like, we got to eat. You know, sometimes at restaurants, it takes a while. And so I'm trying to play it cool. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to play it cool, right, and just making sure, like, everything's all right and whatever. And I'm just, I mean, nervous as can be. I was so nervous because I told her, hey, bring it out during dessert. Listen, I was so nervous. I forgot Alicia doesn't eat dessert. She doesn't eat dessert. So at the end of the night, at the end of the meal, we're like, all right, babe, so what do you want for dessert? I'm good. Nah, I'm fine. No. No. Oh, no. I'm like, wait, what? I was like, uh, no, look, they got, they got a good uh, something here. Why not? Let's, just, let's split it. I'm like, I just want to go home. I was like, 
we can't go home yet. And I was like, no, hold on, just, just get to, I mean, we were about to fight. I was like, we could, and it was, and her parents knew the scenario. My parents knew the scenario. I mean, everything was so tense as we're just going back and forth. What are you going to get? I don't want to get anything. You need to get something. I don't know. Literally, I mean, my father-in-law just couldn't take it anymore, and he just went, I'll order something. Okay, I'll give it. Just bring me whatever. I don't care. Like, he literally just, bring me something. Bring me. I don't care what it is. He couldn't tell. I was like, yo, are you that desperate to get rid of her? I'm like, oh, my gosh. Wow. I was like, he was like, no, she ain't leaving without dessert. No, she ain't leaving. So, and finally, they brought the dessert out. They didn't bring it to him. They put it in front of her. She saw the letter. Da-da-da-da. Yay. Everybody said yes. So, uh, history after that. But, and so I was like, oh, so stressful. This was, this shouldn't have been this way. It should have been so much. I saw it playing out so differently. But anyways, listen, what is an engagement ring? See, an engagement ring is when I gave that engagement ring to Alicia, it was a seal. It's like, yo, sealed, all right? You're mine, claimed. Ain't nobody, everybody else that sees that engagement ring knows this girl is sealed and this girl is committed to a future relationship with somebody else. She claimed, okay? There is a, a transfer of, uh, you know, about to be a transfer of, you know, directions and address and all this other stuff about to happen. Oh, an engagement ring is a seal, right? But also an engagement ring is a guarantee, isn't it? You give an engagement ring to say, I choose you, I choose you now, but the engagement ring is a promise of a future event. The engagement ring is going to point to a day when this all, when we will fully enter, when we will possess, acquire and possess and to fully enter into a relationship. And so in, in it, while you're engaged and while you're steady, you're committed, nobody else, you have a partial relationship. You can access your inheritance partially until the day that you are married when two become one. Now you possess fully all the, the relationship. You enter into it differently. See, that's what the Holy Spirit is. When you believe in Christ, when you believe in Christ, and you, like you said, the gospel of your salvation, and you believe in him, you receive the Holy Spirit who seals you and says, claims, I am yours and you are mine. And not only that, it's your guarantee that that Holy Spirit is a guarantee that there's going to be a future event, which, by the way, is in Revelations, that there's a wedding supper of the Lamb. There's a wedding in heaven. And the guest of honor is Christ and his church. And that Holy Spirit is your engagement ring that's going to take you all the way. It's a promise that there's going to be a future event where we will enter. See, right now we can have a partial relationship with God. We can hear his voice and have a relationship with God, but it's limited until that day comes. And we fully enter and possess the promises of God for all eternity. That's what the Holy Spirit is. That's the Holy Spirit, guaranteed of a future event and guaranteed that he loves you and he is committed to you. That's what that is. And so Paul wanted this church to realize that. Paul wanted his, this church, this Ephesian church to understand that, listen, you can have victory over the enemy if you learn to stand firm in your faith in Christ you cannot fight if you don't know how to walk and first you got to learn how to stand. And so you can have victory over the enemy if you learn first how to stand in faith, in Christ, through the Spirit. And you guys, listen, that promises for us today. In fact, that's the bottom line. I want, you, I want you, if there was one thing that Paul wanted them to know, and I want you to know this applies to us as well. We can have victory over our enemy when we first learn how to stand firm in our faith, in Christ and through.
the Spirit. We can have victory over the enemy in Christ through the Spirit when we first learn how to stand firm in our faith. That's what's so important. We got to get to that point there. See, when we do that, when you believe and you receive more than you, like we talked about, you have so much more than you realize when you believe in Christ, when you have this Holy Spirit. And see, but without it, without understanding who you are in Christ and without understanding this power that is in you through the Spirit, you're not going to stand for too long in your own strength. In fact, Paul, let me just show you something really unique. Paul is talking to this church in Ephesus. He wrote this letter around 60, 61 AD, okay? He had spent two years with this church. In fact, this church, this group of people, you know, meant a lot to him. He wrote Ephesians while he was in prison in Rome about to give his life. He was about to be executed just for claiming and telling the truth of Jesus. But he loved this church so much, he wanted to say one last thing before anything happened. So while in jail, he pens this thing, which is interesting. Here Paul is in jail, and he, didn't want him, he wanted to make sure these church knew who they were in him. Because if you know who you are in Jesus, then all, it doesn't matter what circumstances you are in. Because if you know who you are in Christ, you're good. If you know who you are in Christ, regardless of the circumstances you are in, you're good. And so he was talking to them. He spent two years with this church. In fact, we actually have the account of Paul's first engagement when he showed up to these, this church in, in Ephesus. And he showed up around 55 AD. Check it out. This is in Acts 19, 1 through 7. Look at Acts 19. Now we're going to put it on the screen. Acts 19, 1 through 7. Here's what Paul is trying to remind this church. You need to know who you are in Christ through the Spirit. Okay? And here's why. Look at Paul's first interaction with this church. And it happened that while Apollos, which was another disciple, another, uh, another disciple, was in the city of Corinth, which is the same city that you get the first and second Corinthians, those letters to that church, Paul passed through the island country and came to Ephesus, the, the Ephesians, okay? He shows up to Ephesus. This is around 55 AD, about 20 years after the resurrection, okay? So this is all happening very soon, very fast. He says to them, because he finds disciples there, he's like, oh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed in Jesus? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no. We have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And, he, and Paul says to them, well, then, what do you mean? Into what have you been baptized with? Because they called themselves disciples. What have you been baptized in? They said into John's baptism. This is John the Baptist who was before Jesus, right? right his Jesus' cousin. We were baptized into John's baptism. And, and then uh, Paul says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. And that is Jesus. See, here's a group of people. Because there was Jews all around the world that they had a belief and they knew that the promised Messiah was going to come. And John the Baptist was doing something unique that no one had ever done up until this point. And he was trying to, the way he baptized was different than anyone else. And he was trying to say, listen, repent of your sins, recognize your great need for a Savior, and have hope because a Savior is coming. And so those who were baptized in John the Baptist recognized they were sinners, recognized they needed a Savior. And what they were doing when they were baptized was, I'm waiting for God to show up and do something. That's what he was. So guess what Paul says? Uh, you guys have been waiting. Well, guess what? It happened. And that's what Jesus is. He says I, th that happened in Jesus, verse 4, then verse 5. When they heard this, they were then baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues, prophesying, praising God. And there was 12 of them. So this church in Ephesus began with just these 12 guys. And I thought it was interesting because they knew 
I need help. They knew I'm a sinner and I need God. And they were just having faith that God would do something. And Paul is trying to get them to say, yo, you don't got to wait anymore. It's happened. But not only does God want to forgive you of your sins, it was better. He says, listen, God wants to forgive those sins through Jesus. But he doesn't only want to forgive you of your sins. He wants to give you something. He doesn't want to just forgive you. He wants to fill you with his spirit. He wants to fill you with that breath of life. Listen, the Holy Spirit in us, like we saw, it seals us. It secures us. We need that. We need that for two things. To be able to, you know, for deliverance. And discipleship. We need both of those. That's what the Holy Spirit brings to the equation. Last week we mentioned this, and I'm going to bring it up in a couple of weeks. So if this doesn't make sense, I'll explain it later. That you cannot cast out your flesh or disciple your demons. You can't do that. There's, there's a way of doing this. There, and some of the things that we struggle with, we think, oh, it's a demon. It was like, nah, bro, it's just you lazy. You, you are not disciplined in that area. That's what that is. And then other things where, okay, I'm struggling with this, and you try to bring discipline in an area. I'm like, no, you can't discipline that, bro. That's a demon. You can't just deal with that like that, bro. You can't do that. It's different. And so what the Holy Spirit does, it brings, it delivers us from the hand of the enemy, but then it also brings and develops that discipline inside of us to be like Jesus. In fact, in Revelations chapter 12, you know, at the end game, at the end, you know what the Jesus says? That he says, those who overcame the devil, they did it by two things, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb. They were delivered by darkness through the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony, discipleship. Deliverance and discipleship only happens through the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you to know that you don't have to be scared of this. Sometimes, and look, I know, and I, I, I believe this with all my heart. Sometimes things when around circles and around the churches, the Holy Spirit has these weird connotations of, oh, well, the Holy Spirit's weird. Or that person, that person was, you know, they said he was Holy Spirit filled and he was awkward. Listen, them weird, look, anybody who's weird with the Holy Spirit was weird before they had the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's just what it was. There's just weird people that are just weird all the time. Okay, if that person was weird now with the Spirit, they were just weird before. Trust me. Okay, people are just weird, but God loves us all. Thank you. All right. And so here's the thing. You do not need to be afraid of this because this is not a weird spirit. In fact, let me just tell you who the Spirit is so you know, so you don't got to worry about it. Do you know the Holy Spirit has a name? The Holy Spirit's name is God. It's him. The same God who forgave you wants to fill you with himself. The same God who loves you wants to permeate everything about you. That's that God. That's that God who walks with you, in you, through you, by you, over it. That's him. It's him. He just says, yo, just receive me, all of that's what he wants. We can't stand for too long in our own strength. We can only stand firm in our faith through the spirit. When we learn how to stand in this way, now we can learn how to fight. Now the spirit in us can teach us how to fight for our marriages, fight for our families, fight for our faith, fight for our friends, fight for whatever it is to be that end game church that God desires to bring and extend the victory from the cross everywhere. We can do that, but we first have to learn where we stand with God. And the Holy Spirit in us is giving us the guarantee to clarify all of those things. So you don't got to worry about where you stand. Because you know that where you stand is like we were singing, firm foundation. So now I shared a little bit ago that the Holy Spirit was like, a, it's an engagement ring, right? Listen, that's, that's just like God. See, here God, Jesus, 
from a bloody cross and a bodiless grave is declaring to you, hey, I love you. Will you choose me? From the bloody cross and a bodiless grave, Jesus is telling you, yo, I love you, man. I love you. 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 Will you choose me? When you respond with a faith-filled yes, what happens when people say yes? What happens when Alicia say yes? People clap. Yeah, whatever. Her dad, yes, finally. Oh, my gosh. Okay. When people say yes, everyone celebrates. They start clapping. Well, if you notice, what did Paul, he ended verse 14 with this. He says, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When you realize that what God has given you, you can't help but to praise God and to worship God. You realize, whoa, this is what this is? Like, this is what you're giving me? I have authority to, to, oh, to step on and to, you know, there's no demon that can touch me if I'm following. Like, I got this. This is what this is? When you realize all that God has given you and done for you, how can you not worship God for all that he has sealed and secured in you? See, when you put your faith in Christ through the Spirit, when you put your trust in faith, in Christ, through the Spirit, the Lord begins a work in you, empowering you to overcome anything and everyone until the Lord's will is done and the devil's work is undone in your life to the praise of his glory.